Welcome to The Bargain Basement Butterflies Presents Beyond the Doorway. I'm your host, Buzzley, and on this podcast, I interview friends of mine about their personal paranormal stories. Then I take clips of those interviews and I put them to music. Don't you dare to off the light. There's something out in the night. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Doorway. I'm your host, Buzz Lee, and this is episode 8, Absolutely Haunted, Falling Back Upward. The stories of Tracy Simonic, read by Wendy Smith. I met Tracy through the Paranormal Almanac fan Facebook group, and she had posted something, and I just said that would make an interesting band name. And so we just started kind of riffing back and forth about different things. And found out she kind of has a similar sense of humor and also is into the same type of music that I am. And so we just started kind of talking about different paranormal things. And when I brought up the concept of the show and asked her if she would like to be a part of it, she said that she had a couple stories to tell, but that she didn't really want to have her voice be a part of it. She would gladly do her stories, but didn't want to speak the part. So I said, that's not a problem. I asked her if she'd be willing to share the stories and I would have somebody read them. And she liked that idea a lot. And so that's what I've done here. So today will be a little bit different episode. So once again, these stories are the stories of Tracy Simonic. And my friend Wendy Smith is going to read them. I met Wendy through the Irish music scene, as I have with a lot of my friends. And I want to thank Wendy for taking the time to read these stories. When I got these stories, I got them at two different times. I sent one to Wendy, and she read it and sent it back to me. Then I got the other one a little bit later, and I sent it to her, and sent it, she sent it back to me. So it was at two different times, and I had already started working on the song for the first one, and I was just going to do one song. But when I got the second story back, when I got the second story back, I felt like it needed to be kind of its own thing. So for this week's episode, what I'm going to do, so I'm going to play the recording of the first story read by Wendy Smith, and it's about a ghost. After that, I'll come back and I'll play the song for that. And then once the song is over, we'll go right into the second story and do the second song. The stories of Tracy Simonic, read by Wendy Smith. Let me start by saying that I was a nurse for 17 years. I worked in the military and did contracts after getting out, trying to find a place I liked and wanted to call home. In 17 years, I worked in no less than 20 hospitals, and every single hospital has a room that they say is supposedly haunted. Someone hung themselves or shot themselves in it or whatever. It's mostly ball, meant to scare new staff. Ghosts don't attach themselves to the hospitals they die in, but this one hospital in the Bay Area, it is haunted, absolutely. And everyone knows. It's weird because when it's real, it isn't a joke anymore. People don't laugh about it. You just have to deal with it. 
I had just gotten out of the Navy and was working at a civilian hospital outside San Francisco. It was Mills Peninsula Building in Burlingame. I'm a certified nurse, so I was assigned to the ER there. That was in the building we called Peninsula. In San Mateo was the old hospital that we called Mills. We were hella busy because of pig flu, so I was sent to staff our fast track that we had in the old building. It was my first time working at Mills. No one liked it. All you got were patients with cold symptoms. It was insulting to your intelligence. You had to drive a mile or two, and then you worked with one of those two old nurses. One was a battle axe named Esther. She hated everyone and she was mean as hell. She thought she was better than everybody. She was the one I got to work with that night. So I drive there, she looks me over, says I'll do, and I set about one of the busiest shifts ever in my life. We usually had room for 20 patients, but almost never had more than 12. We had 30 something back there at a time that night until well after midnight. My shift was from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. Everyone had flu symptoms and were waiting on the results of flu swabs. We were sitting people in the hall and using rooms we never used. I don't know what type of ward this had been in the old hospital, but all of the call bells were disabled. We had a new call light system installed, but only in the front 20 rooms. There was no way to ring any bell in the rooms we rarely used. The old call system wasn't even plugged in. The electricity had been disconnected from the old system entirely. On each side of the hall in the back was a four bedroom we usually used for storage that had patients in it that night. We kept the doors open and to indicate there was a patient in each bed, we'd pull the curtain down to the foot of the bed to make a divider between patients and obscure them from view for privacy. When the patients were discharged, you'd pull the curtain all the way up to the head of the bed so the empty bed was in full view, so everyone could see there was no patient there. Esther and I split the patient load in half. I took one side of the hall, she took the other. We were turning and burning, knocking out whole family's treatment, lab tests, and then discharges at an impressive clip. I kept up with Esther and I guess she was impressed. Yeah, you'll do, she said again, nodding as I stripped and cleaned another bed to get the next patient in it. I was practically giddy. That was high praise from Esther. And I'd just gotten out of the military where short staffing was the rule and it was legal to do to us. So I was used to working and working hard. As the evening wore on, the check-in slowed down and I had discharged my last patient from the back room, the one with four beds in it. I had all of the curtains pulled up so the clean, empty beds were in full view. After midnight, Esther started showing me the things around the unit that we were taxed with, the checkoffs, and we walked around the place, passing my four-bedroom. There was a curtain pulled up between the last two beds in the back of the room. I thought you didn't have anyone still in here, she said to me. I don't, I replied, as I whipped the curtain back, revealing a fresh, clean bed. I cleaned it and made it myself. I knew no one was in it. She just looked at me, studied me, and we kept on with our tasks. Like an hour later, I had to go back to get new blankets for the front rooms, and the curtain was pulled forward again. Okay, now this lady is messing with me. I'm gonna call her out, because that's the one thing I'm not afraid of, confrontation, not when I know someone's messing with me. So I go up there and tell her that's not funny, pulling the curtain down to the bottom of the bed again, it's not that I don't do jokes, but what if something had happened and a patient had gone in there and I ignored it because I thought she was playing a prank. She gave me that look again from before and said, you haven't heard. 
She was telling me, not asking me, but telling me that I hadn't heard about the ghost. That room is haunted. There was a drunk they put in there. They forgot about him. Left him back there to sleep it off all night. He choked on his own vomit, aspirated, and died. They found him in the morning. I wasn't shocked or anything. That made sense because that sort of thing happened. Of course, to shitty nurses who ignored their patients, which wasn't me. Almost as if on cue, the call light went off in that room. The call light that wasn't connected to the electricity. The call light that had been disabled and replaced. It wasn't lit up, but it was beeping in that chirping tone a call bell makes. I went back there to shut it off. The old system had a manual shutoff that only worked from the bedside, like the nurse had to go back there and cut the call light off. But it turned off before I got there. I turned on the light and the curtain was pulled all the way to the foot of the bed again, the curtain I had just pulled all the way up. It was down to the foot of the bed, not even two minutes later, and no one had been back there. She and I and the secretary were the only ones there. We did that dance all night long, the ghost and I, probably five or six more times. In between 3 and 5 a.m., we had no patience, zero. It was the first time I had sat down all night. I was beat. Then the call light went off in that room. Esther sat in front of the old disabled call light system, her arms folded, one eyebrow raised. I think she was trying to see what I would do. I was exasperated, pissed. I had run ragged all night. And here was this ghost he keeps getting me to go back there and pull the curtain back. I said out loud, that's it. And I stomped towards that room, Esther following. I walked in and was furious as I found that the curtain was pulled forward again. I yanked it back and as I did, I said firmly out loud, look, I'm sorry that happened, okay? I'm sorry that happened to you, but I'm tired. I keep running back here to check and I suddenly didn't feel angry anymore. I felt like I was being sent a message and suddenly I got that message. I won't forget anybody back here, okay? I won't leave anybody back here like that just to die. I'll check on them, I promise. I won't forget that someone is back here. I won't let that happen to anyone else. I turned and found Esther and she had this almost smile on her face. You're not scared? I shook my head and said no. What's a ghost gonna do to me? You ever hear of a ghost attacking anyone? I hadn't squealed, I hadn't screeched, I hadn't begged her to come down the hall with me. I just went back there to yell at a ghost and tell the ghost to cut this shit out. And he did. No more call lights, no more moved curtains. I found out that what had happened was pretty rare. There was no rhyme or reason or predicting it. It never happened to me again. But every other nurse who got sent to work with Esther had freaked out or wanted to go home when it happened. I just told it to stop. I got angry until I understood. We left that morning, punched out and walked to our cars. She turned and looked at me and said, yeah, you'll do. I probably worked at the fast track at Mills Hospital three out of four shifts for the next year or two, per request by Esther, which was a compliment. I met the other mean nurse, Cynthia. She wasn't as mean as everyone said. She told me she heard that I don't mind work and that the ghost didn't scare me. Nope, I told her. Good, you can go upstairs and calm the girls down when he goes up there, which yeah, I had to do a time or two. I guess he spins a chair around up there. I don't know, I was never a lazy nurse working upstairs.
If you like what you have heard so far today, please take the time to rate and review the show. For more music from the Bargain Basement Butterflies, please visit Bandcamp or your favorite digital media store. If you are interested in merch, visit TeePublic and search for the Bargain Basement Butterflies. Now let's talk about this week's song. Thank you, Tracy, for sending in that story, and thank you, Wendy, for reading it. As I was listening to this interview, trying to figure out what it was I wanted to capture in the song, where the very last part, she talks about how she felt like the ghost was sending her a message to not leave anybody else back there. You know, don't don't do to them what you've done to me. And I really like that idea, so I kind of built the song around that. So please enjoy this week's first song, Absolutely Haunted. Every single hospital has a room that they say is supposedly haunted. But this one hospital in the Bay Area, it is haunted. Absolutely. Absolutely haunted. Absolutely haunted. Absolutely haunted. When it's real, it isn't a joke anymore. People don't laugh about it. You just have to deal with it. Absolutely haunted. Absolutely haunted. We were hella busy because of pig flu. So I was sent to staff our fast track that we had in the old building. And then you worked with one of those two old nurses. One was a battle axe named Esther. She hated everyone and she was mean as hell. She looks me over, says I'll do. And I said about one of the busiest shifts ever in my life. I don't know what type of ward this had been in the old hospital, but all of the call bells were disabled. The old call system wasn't even plugged in. The electricity had been disconnected from the old system entirely. After midnight, Esther started showing me the things around the unit that we were taxed with, the checkoffs. After midnight, absolutely haunted. After midnight, absolutely haunted. After midnight, absolutely haunted. That room was haunted. There was a drunk they put in there. They forgot about him. Left him back there to sleep it off all night. He choked on his own vomit, aspirated, and died. They found him in the morning. Almost as if on cue, the call light went off in that room. Absolutely haunted. Absolutely haunted. I went back there to shut it off. The old system had a manual shut off that only worked from the bedside. But it turned off before I got there. And no one had been back there. We did that dance all night long, the ghost and I, probably five or six more times in between 3 and 5 a.m. I was exasperated, pissed. I had run ragged all night. And here was this ghost, keeps getting me to go back there and pull the curtain back. I said out loud, that's it! And I stomped towards that room, Esther following. Absolutely haunted. Absolutely haunted. Absolutely haunted. I walked in and was furious as I found that the curtain was pulled forward again. 
I yanked it back, and as I did, I said firmly out loud, Look, I'm sorry that happened, okay? I'm sorry that happened to you, but I'm tired. I keep running back here to check, and... I suddenly didn't feel angry anymore. I felt like I was being sent a message, and suddenly I got that message. I won't forget anybody back here, okay? I won't leave anybody back here like that just to die. I'll check on them, I promise. Absolutely. I won't forget anybody. Thank you once again, Tracy, for giving us that story, and thank you, and thank you for allowing it to be read, and thank you to Wendy for reading it. I was driving west on the 262 in California, out of the high desert, down the mountain toward Palm Springs from 29 Palms and Joshua Tree. I think at the time I was actually in Yucca Valley, which is the town right before Palm Desert, which is the one right before Palm Springs. Anyway, at the time I was dating a doctor and he was kind of an a-hole about me being weird and about me liking weird stuff. So I was really like discouraged from being unusual. He was trying to get me to dress normal, buying me all these Victoria's Secret dresses at the time, and he really discouraged any paranormal interest at all. That was just freaky and weird, and I wasn't allowed to even talk about this stuff. So he was driving, and I was in the passenger seat, and I was looking to the right, which would be north, because we were driving west. And up above the hills, like I couldn't see the horizon, we just had hills above us to the right, and the horizon was on the other side, of that, but we were already in the mountains, so it's just like a little bit off. A few hundred yards to summit, and then it would be down over a mountain. So we're pretty high as, up, is what I'm saying. It's the high desert. It's like a mile from sea level up there. So I see these, what I think at the time are birds, and they're silvery, uh, like I want to say canoe-shaped things up in the sky, and they look like they're kind of falling to the ground like leaves, but they're in a formation, and there's probably 30 or 40 of them, and like overlapping diamond formations, and they're uniformly falling down like a leaf would. So I know it's not anything in the breeze or the wind, because they would not be moving in unison. And I'm thinking, okay, well, something was dropped out of an airplane, or that's debris from a satellite or something, but just as it gets the top of that hill, like I said, it's way up high in the sky. They start falling back upwards and staying in that formation, moving the same way like a leaf, swaying back and forth and moving up in the breeze. So I don't say anything to my boyfriend who's sitting right next to me because, you know, highly discouraged to even talk about this stuff. And I just sat there and looked at it. And then he asked me a question and I turned to him because I wasn't paying attention to him and asked him to say that again, and he said whatever it was again, and I answered the question, and then I turned back. I had my eyes maybe away for 20 seconds, and I turned back and looked, and these things went from being a mile up in the sky, maybe a mile and a half, to just maybe 10,000 feet, like they were really zoomed in, then close all of a sudden, and their shape was like the only thing I could describe. It was as the shape of like a fancy battle axe. The blade, it was like rounded in the front and it had like three tails, almost like they were two chunks taken out of the back of the wedge. And it came down to having three points for the tail 
and then they were really close in the same form formation, and then they were floating down again, and before they got to like ground level, they stopped doing that and started floating back up, and in a minute or two they were gone. They didn't make any noise whatsoever. I thought they were birds, but they were silver and didn't catch the light like I thought. It was something glinting in the sun, like it would catch and get brighter or shiny or something, but they all stayed uniformly the same color too, and they were silver, like light, light silver, almost chrome. There were like no contrails coming out of them. There were no windows or anything. And like I said, at first, I thought I was seeing debris that had been thrown out of a plane or falling out of a plane or maybe, you know, pieces from a rocket that were, was coming back into the atmosphere and like broke apart. But these were all exactly the same size. And they were kind of like in formation, like in two or three groups that were overlapping and like sort of diamond shaped formations, like eight to 12 and each one, maybe nine, something like that. Anyway, there are a lot of UFO, like old UFO cult types out in the high desert. And that's where one of the UFO cults came from. And I went back and looked at some of the drawings of the supposed UFOs that these people had been contacted by or were in contact with, who they based their religion off of. And one of them is from, I want to say, she's from uh, New Mexico or, or Arizona. I looked up her name, too. The drawing that she did is like the shape of these things. So that's the thing I've always wondered if I saw the UFOs that this lady based her UFO cult on. Like, I don't doubt that people have seen UFOs. But I do doubt that they were in contact with the aliens and the aliens, you know, told them to, you know, start a religion that's like off the rails. And actually, the modern UFO cults get more into conspiracy theories and the Intergalactic Federation. And I'm doing like a lot of reading lately on Sherry Strainer, who is a lady from where I'm from, basically Ohio and Pennsylvania. And there are like two deaths that are related to her conspiracy theories or her brainwashing of people. And I think the cult is still going on, even though she's died. But it's really fascinating that like in this day and age, people will still fall for that shit. Because I'm sorry, until you're immortal, you cannot prove to me that you were the chosen one that can like sell like necklaces with midichlorians in it or whatever she was selling. There were some crystals that she was supposed to know. That was how you defeat the reptile aliens that are sent to kill you by Obama and the New World Order because the Galactic Federation is actually anti-them. I don't know. The lady is just weird. But she was selling shit that supposedly could keep the aliens away or like ray guns that would kill the aliens if they ever came after you. And that's basically how she was making a living like the last 10 years of her life, which is crazy. Because, like I said, I would think that if aliens gave you the secret to anything, that you'd be, like, really wealthy, or you'd be immortal, or you'd be able to see, you know, psychically communicate with people all over the world. I mean, I would think that you would be a little more special than living in a trailer park outside of Kent State, Ohio. Like, I really think they would benefit your earthly life a little more than that. Because, like I said, I don't doubt that there are aliens and that they're coming down in UFOs. But I don't think they're abducting people, and I don't think they're communicating with anybody and giving them special secrets. And then, you know, letting them spread the word, as you would say, like a religion. I don't think that's what they're doing if they're sending a message. 
I more believe the people that are getting like end-of-the-world scenarios. If we humans don't change our, our ways, warning is when they get abducted. I believe that kind of stuff, not go wear a UFO hat on your head and march around the desert and start a religion based on our UFO. That seems more like a crazy earthlink thing and not like what aliens and, you know, advanced races would actually do. And if they did disguise it like Scientology disguises it, then they don't tell you the secrets of that until you're way high up. But I really do adore the whole idea of the 1950s housewife lady with the big beehive and driving a silver Cadillac, telling everyone about the aliens and all these followers, and, you know, cardboard boxes covered with aluminum foil, you know, marching around from town to town trying to spread the word of what Ashtar Command or whatever it is. I mean, I think that's like a really groovy aesthetic. I mean, that would have been. What a time to be alive. You know what I'm saying? It's charming is what I'm saying. Like, it's so crazy. It's like freaking adorable. And in the 1950s, no less, I mean, she had to have some balls on her. Although the way she looks, she reminds me of Flo from Alice. For this next one, I just kind of wanted, I felt like the picture being painted was kind of this, you know, you see these objects in the sky and there's kind of this surreal feeling, this idea that you're just kind of watching these objects do what they're going to do. And you, as the observer, aren't really, like, engaged in being wowed by it. You're just kind of noticing it is kind of how I perceived it, I guess. And so this can hopefully kind of gives a... I was going for a little bit more of a relaxed feel with this one, but kind of like being in awe of the situation and just kind of accepting the beauty of what you're looking at. So please enjoy the second song, Falling Back Upward. So I see these, what I think at the time of birds, and they're silvery. Uh, like I want to say canoe-shaped things up in the sky. And they look like they're kind of falling to the ground like leaves. They start falling back upwards. Falling back, upwards, 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 falling back. 
Thank you for fluttering in to this week's episode of Beyond the Doorway. Thank you to today's guest for taking the time to be a part of this project. And thank you, the listener, for taking the time to listen. See you next time. Have a good week.